In a day when chaos reigns, at a time when spiritual darkness covers the face of the earth, there is a movement. A groundswell of change is happening. God is being true to his word and keeping his promise. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that standard, and it is being lifted up like a mighty banner of hope for all to see. Men, women, students, and children are all finding life in that banner. The church is waking up. A mighty army is coming together to proclaim truth, righteousness, the forgiveness of sins, and the power of God's word. Jesus is building his church. And in spite of those who try to silence it, shut it down, and stop its work, not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. This is a move of the Spirit of God. This is a move to lift high the banner. This is a move of the church. Join the movement. Amen. Amen glad you're here with us today. The Lord is here. The Lord is moving. Amen? He's changing our lives. He's changing our church. And he is at work in our world. And what he does here is intended to go with us from here that it might impact what's out there. Amen? Amen. You know, when God created Adam and Eve and the garden, he created not a world as we know it today. He created them to live in a place where the realm of heaven and the realm of earth were overlaid upon one another. And so God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. Adam, watch this, did not live by faith. He lived by sight. He had God with him. He had God speaking to him. What God said from his mouth, Adam heard in his ear, in person. And the realms were together. The spiritual was not unseen like today. They were together. They saw the blessings of God physically around them. They saw the presence of God physically around them. They were both, Adam and Eve, clothed in the glory of God because the realm of heaven and the realm of earth were one in that day. The glory of God dwelt among them and they knew it. Every spiritual thing had a spiritual purpose. Even the trees that God created and gave to them to eat were not just delicious fruit trees. They were delicious spiritual fruit trees. To eat was to take in not just physical food, but physical and spiritual food. This may be blowing your minds right now. It's blowing my mind as well because I can't imagine a time and a place where the spiritual and the physical overlapped one another and overlaid one another and were one, but this was how God created the garden. Heaven was on earth. Heaven and earth were one. Adam didn't think about dying one day to go to heaven because he was in heaven on earth. Let all that just settle in your mind for just a moment there. When Adam sinned, however... Everything changed. The earth came under a curse. Now work would be with toil. There would be thorns come up from the ground. There would be death. There would be separation. The eternal heavenly realm was ripped away from the earthly physical realm. And God placed angels to guard this heavenly realm. Read it. It's all there in Genesis. And now there would be death. 
Now the two realms would be separate. The kingdom of heaven would no longer be overlaid over the kingdoms of this world. It would be like you and I know it today, where heaven is separated, where heaven and the things of eternity are not seen with natural eyes anymore. Now we believe them by faith until the day that we either go to be with him or he comes to take us to be with him and our faith is made sight in that day. Amen? Is it all starting to gel just a little bit for you here? Sin destroyed the ability of heaven's realm and earth's realm to be together. But God had a plan. This did not catch God by surprise. This was not an off day for God. It was planned from the beginning. He had a purpose before it was ever created. And he began to reveal his purpose to restore once again heaven on earth. He did. And so throughout the Old Testament, you see pictures and glimpses of heaven returning to earth you see moments where there were miracles. You see moments where angels appeared. And God himself called Moses to establish a building, a tent, a tabernacle. And in this tabernacle would be a holy place and a holy of holy place. And inside that most holy place would be the Ark of the Covenant, a gold box that was made of wood overlaid with gold and on top was a lid made of gold and on top of that lid were angels that looked down over this box and inside that box were the 10 commandments that had been broken and violated by man and on top as these angels looked down into what had been the sin of man, God said, here's what I want you to do, high priest. I want you to enter into this most holy place and I want you to take the blood of a spotless lamb. And I want you to pour it out on the top of this box because it has a, a, a lid and a lip around it that will contain the blood so that these angels who now look down will not see the broken commandments, but they will see the blood of a shed lamb. This was the holy of holies that the high priest alone could enter at a given time in a given way, and in, with him walking in righteousness. And in this place, the glory of God dwelt. There in that place, the people of God knew this was the portal to heaven on earth. This was a picture of what was to come of the realm of heaven being once again overlaid on the realm of earth. Amen? Are you following me so far? We go just a little bit further in Scripture, and Jesus appears on the scene. And what does Jesus say as part of his opening words of his ministry? He says what John the Baptist had said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, it's time to change your ways because the realm of heaven is back. The realm of heaven is here, and Jesus was that realm. Amen? Come on now. Oh. We are going on a journey today. I just want to say that, and we're just getting started. Hold on. Pay attention. That's enough of that. All right, so, so Jesus would say things like, Seek first the kingdom of heaven. In other words, make this a priority. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He would tell his disciples to pray. When you pray, say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's bring the realm of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, back to earth. That's what Jesus had come for. He had come to bring heaven back to earth so that man could once again know the glory of God here on earth. Amen? Amen. Today, our message is called, Heaven is Here. Because all that had been prophesied was fulfilled in Jesus. 
But then Jesus said some things about what would come next. And you and I are part of the next. If you ever wondered if your life had purpose, if you ever wondered why was I born now, if you ever wondered why this time to those parents, if you ever wondered why Ovilla on 1030 on this Sunday morning, you are about to find out why. Because as the church of Jesus Christ, we have been made the place where heaven comes to earth once again. It's true. You're not convinced yet, I can tell. That's okay. I'm here to do some convincing today. Amen? Turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicles 5. This is one of those early pictures that I told you about where God began to open a, a window where God began to give a glimpse of what it would look like for heaven to be on earth, what it would look like to see him reigning, what it would look like when his glory was here on earth. God gave these pictures. He gave these portals, if you will. And in 2 Chronicles 5, we're going to see one of those built. Prior to this, God had given the instructions, as I said, for a tabernacle or a tent to be made. And this box that was in the Holy of Holies was critical because the box represented the sacrifice made for man. The box, this Ark of the Covenant, is where man's forgiveness was purchased. The box, the Ark of the Covenant, is what made it possible for God's glory to dwell in this place. The sad thing was the people of God sometimes took this Ark of the Covenant lightly. Sometimes they carried it around like it was a good luck charm into battle. Sometimes they treated it so lightly that their enemies came and stole it from them and it would not be in their presence. As we come to 2 Chronicles 5, it has been some time since the Ark of the Covenant has been in a holy of holy place. And Solomon has built a new place, the temple. It's not the tent that Moses had constructed. It's the temple that Solomon has constructed. It's not made of skins, it's made of stones. It's majestic, it's beautiful, and it's set up in that same pattern. Sacrifices made before you ever enter in. A holy place, and then the most holy of holies. Here in this chapter 5, we're going to see the day of dedication. It's the day when the temple is being completed. The Ark of the Covenant is being set in place. And something powerful is about to happen. Because while God shows off his glory in different places from time to time, in miracles and appearances, listen to me. His plan has always been that his greatest power and glory would be revealed when his people were gathered together in worship of him. It's true. The God's greatest glory on earth, the greatest demonstration of the kingdom, the realm of heaven overlaid on earth is when his people are gathered together in worship of him. Second Chronicles 5, verse 7 is where I'm beginning today. It says, Then the priests brought in the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place. They brought it into the place that it had been designed for. It had been in a lot of other places before now. It had been in the hands of the enemy. It had been in the hands of one man, Obed-Edom, and it had been in his possession. And the Bible says as long as it was with him, God blessed him. But the greatest glory is not when just one person possesses the presence of God, but when a people come together and acknowledge the presence of God. Okay. 
They moved the Ark of the Covenant to its place, the rightful place that it belonged in the Holy of Holies, the most holy, the central place, the place of God's glory in this temple. And it says it was into the inner sanctuary of the temple to the most holy place. You see, God blesses when his glory is in its place in a life, in a marriage, in a church, and in a nation. You can't expect the glory of God to fall in your own life, in your marriage, in your family, if Jesus is not in the rightful place. Amen? If you try to keep him as a good luck charm off to the side, you'll wonder, how come I'm not experiencing the blessings of God in my life? It's because you haven't moved Jesus to his rightful place. He's not a side gig. He's not an afterthought. He's not something we do only at holidays and traditional moments. He is the center. He is the sacrifice. He is the one who loves you. He is the one he's, we are told to seek above all things and make priority. And when he is in his place, the rightful place, in the center of your life, in the center of your marriage, and you're acknowledging him there, and he's the center of a church, not religious activity, when he's the center of that church, his glory will fall in that church. Amen? And when he's the center of a nation, his glory will fall on that nation. But you remove him from that nation and watch out, you'll get what we got today. Hello? It's true. You'll get exactly what we are getting today. We, the United States of America, I believe today, are a nation under judgment. Because we have taken Jesus and removed him as a whole from his place, his rightful place as king, Lord over our lives. Amen? Here in this day, the priests brought the Ark of the Covenant and they put it into its place. Move on to verse 13. And it says, indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and the singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. In other words, when they had all gathered together in a spirit of unity, when they'd all gathered together, not to say, can't we just all get along? No, they said, let's all get together under the lordship of our God. Amen? When they gathered with that voice, with oneness, and they made a sound to be heard together, when they lifted up their voice as one and they sang, something happens. Goes on in verse 13, it says, and when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praise the Lord. This is not just a reference to they started singing. Lifting up their voices is a much more descriptive term than that. This is not just a saying. This is a cry that came out of their soul. And they lifted up their voice. They spoke out what was deep inside. They made confessions of faith by what they lifted up. There's power when you speak what's in your faith. You know that, right? There's power when you say what God has put in your heart. It's one thing to believe, but it's another thing to speak. In fact, the Bible says that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, then we will be saved. It requires both. It requires I believe in here and I speak out here. I don't just quote some 
routine words, but I let it be known by the evidence of my life, and I speak outwardly what's true inwardly. I confess that God is real. I confess that God is good. I confess that he is just. I confess that he is holy. I confess that he is among us. I confess that he is with us. I confess that he has a purpose for us because when you begin to speak those things, you begin to unlock the heaven among you. It's true. They were walked into a space and thought, this feels weird. Hello, you ever done that? Hey, just recently our family went on a, a vacation and we stayed in an Airbnb. We go into this house and it's beautiful. But it just seems weird. I can't, I can't figure out what it is. Before the night's over, you're going to think I'm, I'm weird. I'm, I don't care, really. Before the night is over, Sickness is happening among us. Before the night is over, Heather and Brianna are taking a trip to the ER because Kaylee can't breathe. So I'm praying, looking, wondering what is going on. This was just kind of out of the blue. Just start up on that night. And I'm praying and doing warfare against whatever spirits are in that place because they were there. It wasn't until we left, I did a little research online, found this person on some social media, found some pictures, found some information, and it became very obvious what had been going on in that house and what we we're experiencing. There are spirits that are real and live in the realms among us. And it is our responsibility as believers to speak out our faith because when we do, we change the atmosphere of that room and that place. Sometimes you just need to get out of those spaces Sometimes you need to speak into those spaces, amen? When God's people gathered here in this space, the temple, they spoke out truth. They declared the glories of the king. They confessed their sins and they confessed he is Lord and they sang and they lifted up their voices and they began to praise him. And when you do that, you change the atmosphere. You change the spiritual atmosphere of that place. And here the Bible tells us what they were saying. In the last part of verse 13, or the next part, it says, here's what they were saying. For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. They were coming out of a time when they had known sin in their nation. They were coming out of a time of judgment in their nation. They were coming out of a time when the ark, the glory of God, the sacrifice of God for them had not been in its rightful place and they were putting it back where it belonged. It was a revival and they were singing God's praises and declaring that he is good and that his mercy endures. They were watching all of that unfold right before their eyes. They were seeing the temple in physical form and they were seeing God back in his rightful place over their nation. And they were excited about what God was doing in their midst. And they were expectant about that. You know, if you wanna see God move, you have to have a, a heart of expectancy. You have to be in a place where you are anticipating, looking forward to, believing that he is going to speak. If you have an attitude that says, yeah, here we go again, another Sunday. Hurry up, dude, get this over with. If that's your heart, if you've come in even today, and thought, all right, let's get these songs over with. I got places to go, things to do. Oh, gosh. 
I promise you this. If that's your heart coming in, do not expect God to work in your heart except by just an absolute act of his mercy on your life. But if you've come in today and said, Lord, you are king over my life. You died for me. You paid for my my sin through your son. You sent him and he rose from the dead and he's victorious and he's seated at your right hand and you love me and you've called me, you've chosen me, you're at work in me. If you're believing those promises today and you're saying, God, I'm here to hear you work in my life. If you've come with that kind of attitude today, look here, I promise you he's going to speak to you today. He will. Amen. Come on. I love it. James would say in the New Testament, if anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. But don't be like the one who doubts. James said, let not that man expect to receive anything. Amen? So when we gather as God's people today, I want to be like God's people in that day. Oh God, you are good. Present tense, are good is good, and your mercy endures, it continues, it's active, it's present, and it will be here today, amen? Expecting him to hear, to move among us. It goes on in verse 13, and it says that when they did all of this, that the atmosphere began to change, it says that the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud. So the physical and the spiritual atmosphere literally changed so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud. The glory of God settled in that place in a spiritual and physical way so tangible, so overwhelming, they could not even carry out their priestly duties. They were so overwhelmed that God was in this place because the kingdom of heaven, the realm of heaven had opened up over the realm of earth and it was seen right here in the temple. Amen? Just keep chewing on all of this. I promise you'll be worth it. There's power when you speak out truth. There's power when you make declarations of faith. Because in that moment, what is the unseen becomes the seen. When you begin to speak truth, how many times have you been in a situation and you've been discouraged? You had your attitude down a little bit and you can't get past it. And a friend comes to you and begins to speak encouraging words to you, begins to speak truth to you, begins to speak scripture to you, begins to pray for you. And all of a sudden, you experience a change in you. Your heart begins to lift, your eyes begin to open, your spirit comes alive, and you say, God is here in this place. Thank you for coming and speaking truth to me. That's what happens when you start declaring truth outwardly you begin to declare what is invisible to the visible. Come on now. Look here. You're going to think I'm an absolute weirdo this morning. Look, when you begin to speak truth, it causes evil spirits in the room to head out that door. It does. Look here. There is no place in the Bible that it says that Satan or evil spirits know your thoughts. It's not there. They can see your actions and they can hear your words and they're attempting with all their power to deceive you and lead you astray and discourage you and they can tell because when you're deceived and you're discouraged, you talk differently. You walk differently. You start walking like this and you start talking with all kind of discouragement and hopelessness and doubt and profanity and evil. You start speaking all that stuff and the enemy says, ah, I got him. Because they go off of what you say and what you do because they can't know what you're thinking. 
That's why it's so important that you begin speaking truth and have people speak truth to you when you're feeling attacked. We need one another for those purposes. We speak truth to one another and we set captives free in that moment. Because when someone begins to speak truth to me, when I've been dealing with fear and anxiety and discouragement, all of that stuff just zoop and heads out the door because that's what evil does when Jesus and truth are spoken in a room. Amen? That's what happens. So here in this moment, 2 Chronicles 5, whatever had been in that physical place before has just evacuated the scene because the glory and the power and the cloud of God have just showed up on the scene. It's so important that you and I know how to verbalize and speak truth. Look here. This is part of the danger of being a silent believer. This is the danger in you and I thinking, well, I'm just going to keep this faith thing private and not say anything about it. If you try to keep it private, you're going to be under the gun of the enemy because you look like an easy target in that moment. You start speaking truth, however. You start declaring that God is active in your life, that Jesus is your Lord, that the Holy Spirit has made you his temple, that you are on, you are on mission from him. You're an ambassador for him. You start declaring those promises. You start declaring that there's no weapon formed against you that can stand those spirits will all start running away from you as fast as they can. Amen? That's why you and I cannot be silent believers. We must speak what God has shown us so that evil will be terrified and flee from us. Amen? The power of God is revealed when what is inward is spoken outwardly. And a movement starts. That's what happened here. That's why James would also say in his writings, if you say you have faith but you have no works, no outward demonstration, no evidence from it, then your faith is dead. It's of no use to you because you cannot have silent faith and it be powerful faith. You want to see God change the room you're in, the marriage you're in, the family you're in, the workplace you're in, the environment you're in, the neighborhood you're in, the church you're in, then start speaking truth out in those places. Amen? That's why when we gather together, we have a time of worship. We're not just filling space. We're not just giving some people that are talented with music an ability to have something to do on Sunday morning. This is our moment to verbally open our mouths and sing the praises of God and chase evil away from this place and declare God's glory fall in this place. Amen. That's not just for the gifted and talented on stage. That's for the gifted in the room, which is every one of us who've been gifted with the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's when the power of God falls is when we begin to verbalize what's been internalized, begin to speak out in faith. When that happens, oppression leaves, fear leaves, unbelief leaves, evil spirits leave. And what happens next in this story tells us, it says, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. There was an atmosphere change. The spiritual atmosphere of that room all of a sudden was no longer what it was 10 minutes earlier because the people of God had gathered and the people of God declared truth and the people of God opened their mouths and worshiped and the people of God were expecting God to move and when that happened, the glory of God fell. And this is just one of the pictures in the Old Testament that shows us what happens when heaven comes to earth. Now, let's fast forward into the New Testament. We know Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Seek first the kingdom to pray your kingdom 
come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But then Ephesians 2 tells us something about us, about us today, because look here, this is no longer the day of a temple with a holy place and a holy of holy place in Jerusalem that we are called to go to to offer sacrifices and worship our God because Jesus came to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus came to make a way and opened heaven so that you might, you and I might come right into the very throne room of God by his grace. Amen? It's a different day in which we live today, but you and I as believers, as the church, have a very important role. And this whole series has been about this idea of you and I understanding who we are as the church and waking up into that calling and standing up into what God has called us to. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners and fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You are now fellow citizens, saints, and members of the household of God. You are not strangers anymore. You're not foreigners, but you've been made something different. You're not disconnected. You're not on the outs. If you've come to Jesus Christ, you have become something and someone different. This verse says that you and I have been made citizens, fellow citizens. We're part of the kingdom. We all live in it, are members of it. We are saints and we are members of the household of God. The very household that God himself dwells in. But Ephesians doesn't stop there. It goes on and it says, having this household, this place of dwelling, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. He says, you and I have been made part of a new building, part of a new home. We've been put together, and it's the household of God. It's been built upon the very foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and Jesus is the, the cornerstone. He's the one piece that the whole building hinges on. He is what the building is all about. Verse 21, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This building, this movement is growing, he says. It's getting larger as time passes. God is building it. Verse 22, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Now, stay with me. Individually, as believers, the moment you and I are saved today, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. The New Testament says you and I are individually temples of the Holy Spirit. We are the individual dwelling places of the Spirit of God. And there's such power and beauty in that. So the Spirit of God is teaching me and you, comforting me and you, leading me and you, convicting where he needs to, me and you, directing, guiding, drawing, reassuring, instructing, building, transforming us. This is what he's doing individually in you because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But this verse says something a little more that I'm afraid in this day we are missing because the enemy wants us to miss this. You see, there's a spirit today that says, you know, church, I mean, it's good if you can find a good one. I mean, if you can go and you got time, I mean, it, it's good. It can be. But here's the, here's the spirit today. 
But you know, I can totally meet alone with God and get just as much of being alone, just me and God. Look here. I totally understand that. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. I can go stand in the middle of the creek here in Old Villa and worship God and him minister to me and transform my life. Amen? I can go stand out in the middle of Old Villa Road, not for very long, but he'll speak to me. I don't care. I can go to the middle of Joe Pool Lake and he'll speak to me because I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in me. But this verse tells me something a little different. That you and I, as these individual temples and stones, are being put together, assembled together, and for a purpose, so that we together might be the dwelling place of God in the Spirit. There is something different that happens when the people of God, the temples of the Holy Spirit, gather together, confess him as Lord, worship with their mouth and heart wide open. In that moment, we become something entirely different than me standing in the middle of the creek down here. Amen? As great as that is, there is power when the church comes together in purpose and power and confession and worship. Paul said we become a dwelling place of God in the spirit. In other words, we become the place of heaven on earth. We become a different experience. Some of the grandest spiritual moments for me have come out of gathered worship times with other believers. I've had some powerful times with my family, powerful times just Heather and I, some powerful moments just me personally. But there's something different that happens when the people of God are gathered together under the purposes of God and the enemy would do anything he could today and is doing what he can today to keep the church from gathering Are you following the pastor in Canada? If you have not, you should. In Canada, there's a pastor who has refused to give in to the government guidelines for not meeting together because of COVID. He's continued to meet, and they have harassed him. They have followed him. They have arrested him. They've put him in prison. He's gotten out. He recently came to the United States to speak and traveled. When he landed back in Canada, got off the airplane, they met him right there, arrested him, and he's going to be locked away for a long time because he would not give up the mandate to lead the church to be together in this day and time. Say what you will about whether or not we should yield to government mandates. But before you say what you will, I challenge you to go back and read through Scripture and look how many times the people of God refused to give in to government oversight. I'm telling you. Amen. Go back and read about the Hebrew midwives and then come talk to me. Go back and read about Joseph and come talk to me. Go back and read about Moses and then come talk to me. I could just keep going. Go back and read about Daniel, then let's talk. There's a place and a purpose, and the church has been given a mandate by God to gather. How dare we treat it so lightly that we can't even find a way to get together and gather and worship and proclaim the truths of our God. Amen? Amen. So, there's power when we gather. There's power when we proclaim truth. There's life that happens. There's transformation that happens. This is by God's design. This is his purpose. We saw it a couple weeks back when I used the passage from Matthew 16. 
where Jesus talked about the church. Let's go back into that just for a little bit. And then I want to go into a part that we haven't covered yet. And we'll camp out here today. Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus said, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Peter had just confessed to Jesus. He said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on this. And the gates of Hades that they were standing nearby in that moment, that physical place and the rock, he said, that shall not prevail against it. There'll be nothing that can stop my church when they are gathered, when they are worshiping, when they are expecting, and when they are hearing and seeking me. But here's the part that I didn't use that day. But today, we're going to go there. Verse 19, Jesus said, next, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. Peter, because of this confession and church, because of you are the one I'm building, which by the way, the church is the most precious prize to Jesus on the planet. We are the apple of his eye. And he says to you, to you, to us, he says, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I want you to notice that it does not say the keys to the kingdom of heaven. The entrance to the kingdom comes through Jesus. He's the door. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. You come into the kingdom by him. You come in by repenting of your sins. You come in by confessing him. But Jesus said, but I'm going to give you some keys. The keys of the kingdom. And this set of keys, they will allow you to unlock and they will allow you to lock and they will allow you to open up the kingdom of heaven here among the kingdoms of men. Are you with me? Come on now. He says, I'm going to give you some keys. These are going to open some doors. These are going to open some realms. These are going to open some things that the church is called to use. The gathered church, the people, the church. Here's what he says next. And with these keys, whatever you bind on earth, in other words, whatever you lock up, will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Can you believe that Jesus would love us so much, would treasure us so much, would be so gracious to us that he would say, I'm going to give you the keys that unlock all of my kingdom. They are for you, the church, to use. Now use them. And know this, that when you use them, you will bind some things and lock them up here on earth. You're going to speak them here. And when you do, these keys have such power in the heavenlies that they will cause things there to be locked up as well. And these keys have such power that when you lose some things here, you're going to lose some things in heaven. So, when you and I begin to speak truth in a place like this on a Sunday morning, where we are gathered to worship our God and proclaim his truth and expectantly hear from him, we can use these keys of the kingdom and bind some things. We can bind some evil spirits here in this place because they've been given to us as keys to lock them up as the church. Oh, you're getting quiet on me now. Come on, look here. We can also loose some spirits so someone's in this place and they've been battling with bondages and addictions in their life. 
and they come to us and we speak truth to them and we begin to pray over them. We begin to ask for God to set them free and confess Jesus as Lord over their life and they begin to confess their sins. We can help them be loosed from those bondages in that moment and they can be free. Come on now. We've seen it happen right here in this place where people who came in with bondages and addictions in their life and they began to see God, they began to confess their sin and we began to work with them and they began to be free from those addictions, amen? Amen. Because that's what the keys of the kingdom do. You set people free. You begin to set minds free that have been troubled with all kind of terrible thoughts. You begin to loose people from those thoughts. You begin to loose people who've been tormented in their emotions. You begin to loose people who've been racked with guilt. You begin to loose people who've carried condemnation in their life. You begin to loose people who've lived in fear of what others think in their life. You begin to set those captives free. That's what we are called to do, amen? We begin to bind up spirits of fear. We begin to bind up spirits of half-hearted religion, spirits of insecurity, spirits of defeat, spirits of anger, spirits of bitterness, which by the way, I just want to say to all those spirits, you do not belong here in this place right now. This is a holy place. Amen. Amen. And in the name of Jesus, we, we command you to all head on out that door because you have no reign here in this place where the people of God dwell. Amen. Amen. Hey, There's power when you speak those things, not just here, but in your marriage, in your personal life, with your friends, and with your community group as well. Amen? Amen. You bind up those spirits. You begin to loose spirits of forgiveness, that people would receive the forgiveness and freedom of God, released from all the guilt and shame in their life that they've carried, released from all the agonizing, terrifying thoughts of judgment and condemnation that they carry, released from hopelessness, but instead filled, loosed with the very spirit of hope into their life, loosed with the spirit of love and the promise of Christ in their life, loosed with the power of resurrection, loosed with the spirit of boldness to stand in this day and be the church of God. Amen? Those are things that we bind and we loose. We lock up and we unlock so that we might be exactly what Jesus said we would be, the church that the gates of hell cannot stand against. We bind up spirits of stubbornness, of refusal to yield, spirits of isolation, spirits of silence that tell us in this day we should keep our faith to ourselves. We bind those spirits up this morning and say, get out of here. You have no place in this church. You have no place in our lives. Those are from the evil one and not from anything else. We lose the spirit of open-hearted, full worship. This is what God has called us to. This is what we are made to be as the people of God. People who are free. People who love. People who are not so concerned about what this person next to me is thinking about me. If I lift my hands, if I sing out loud, if I fall on my face, if I run down the aisle, I don't live for that anymore because that's not the spirit of freedom. Amen? Spirit of joy is what you and I have been called to. Spirit of freedom is what you and I have been called to. So we loose those spirits to come alive in this place to come alive as we gather. And today, I want to say some things that I even haven't said already to make sure we bind and loose and make some declarations about who we are as the church in this day. Amen? Amen. I'm ready to change the atmosphere a little bit. Amen? You want to do that? Let's change the atmosphere. Let's change the spiritual atmosphere in this place. And I hope this becomes... A picture of what you can do in your home. Have you ever walked into your house one day and thought, what in the world? It just seems all off in here. My spouse is upset with me and my kids are all acting kooky and, and what in the world? In that moment, it's time to stop and pray over that house, to pray over your family, to confess some things, 
to bind some things, to loose some things so that the glory of God is in that house and who knows whatever else because I'm telling you, you turn on some wacky TV show, you got some goofy old music playing in your house, you let some kind of foreign reading material in your house, I'm telling you, you're bringing in that stuff when you do that. You start believing lies and start listening to stuff. I ain't even talking about the news yet. And I'm not going to. I don't talk about things that are not worth talking about. So today, as the church, the gathered people of God, the assembly of living stones, the place that God has chosen to dwell in a unique way when we are gathered together, we are the people that he has promised he would open heaven to. We are the people who've been given the keys for unlocking the realm of heaven. We are the people who are choosing today to put Jesus in the rightful place, in the center of our lives and the center of our church. Amen? We are choosing on this day to see ourselves as he sees us, forgiven, clean, chosen, righteous, holy, salt, light, ambassadors, the pillar and the ground of truth on this planet. This is who he says we are and nothing less. And we're going to speak outwardly of some things that are true spiritually. We're going to be filled with faith to do all of this. We have to start with a place of confession today. Some things you and I need to confess. To confess the sin of not believing all of God's promises. Confess the sin of fearing what others think of us more than what God says about us. To confess to loving pleasure more than God himself. Confess being religious instead of spiritual. Confess arrogantly trusting our own thoughts over God's ways. How arrogant we are in our day to think we know better than God's word. We confess to allowing God into only parts of our life, the parts that we deem appropriate. We confess to treating the word of God lightly. We confess that our land is under judgment today. Amen. We confess our land's sin of murdering babies, Amen. of sexual immorality, Amen. of deviant behavior, Amen. of exchanging the created order for personal perversion and twisted ways. And we confess that for judgment to begin in our land, it must first begin in the house of God because this is God's order. So today, we speak these truths boldly. God is a creator of all things. We are not the product of evolution. God is holy and dwells in unapproachable light. We are sinners undeserving of that life. We confess that God saw us in our sin and loved us. So much so that he sent his son to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We confess that Jesus died completely and fully. And that three days later he rose from the grave defeating evil, sin, death, hell, and the grave. Amen. We confess that Jesus opened the way for sinners to be redeemed when they repent of their sin. We confess that God makes his grace available by faith and not by our religious efforts. We confess that God takes those who receive him and he seats them at his right hand in honor, in favor, and with inheritance, giving us every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. We confess that God places those who believe together in an interconnected body 
filled with purpose and power called the church. We confess that we are the body of Jesus on earth. And as his word says, he has given us the fullness of himself in this church. We confess that he is here today with a power greater than when you and I are separated. We confess that he has called us with a purpose bigger than we can even fully comprehend today. We confess that when we are walking in his power, that nothing can stop us, not even the gates of hell themselves. We confess that he is the head of this church. We confess that we are his body, that all things are under his feet, which means that all things are under our feet because we are his body on this earth. Amen? We confess that he is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in our lives he might have the preeminence over all things, the first place. We confess that today he is actively healing our hearts, our minds, our emotions, our will, and transforming us individually and collectively into the very image of his son. We confess that he is working all things together for his glory and our good. We confess that he takes what the enemy has meant for evil and he turns it for good because he meant it for good and the enemy has no power except what God himself unlocks from time to time that it might accomplish his purposes first. We confess that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. We confess that we are more than conquerors in the one who loved us. We confess that eye has not seen nor ear heard what has entered into the heart of God that he has prepared for us. We confess that you and I have been called to a vision bigger than what we can comprehend. We have been called to take the gospel into all the world. We confess that the Holy Spirit is here in demonstrable form because we collectively are his temple. And we confess that there is a move of the Spirit happening today. It's happening in our hearts individually. It's happening right here in our church. And we will not neglect the day of the small thing because God causes big movements to come from his small work in our life when we'll yield to it. And we confess that he's calling his church together for a purpose today. I want us to hold on to these. I want the enemy to know he has no purpose or power to stop us from these. And I want our God to know that we are yielded and expectant to see what he's going to do in us individually and together. Amen? Amen. I rest in all of these. Take delight in all of these. I hope they build your faith. You know, every Sunday morning before I stand up here, I come here early and listen to the, the team worship and practice. And I've got a couple of pages in my notebook that I've put together recently that are reminders to me of some promises. I have 11 promises, in fact, that I read before I stand up. Because I want to remember, it's not by my might nor by my power, but by his spirit, says the Lord. I want to remember that it's not with persuasive words that people's lives are changed, but by demonstration of the power of the Spirit. And I want to remember what we've been called to.
is God's holy people today. And he's called us together. He's called us to speak. He's called us to sing. He's called us to let this place be like that temple in the Old Testament where the glory fills this place and we can't help but respond to him because of his power in our midst. Amen. This is what you and I have been called to. This is why we've been placed here on the corner of Ovilla Road and Main Street. This is why some hundreds years ago, this property was purchased for this purpose that we might be here today. We might be gathered to be God's people and worship him. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, this morning we stand in these promises. We stand in the declaration of your truth. We stand knowing you've called us to be your people here in this day and this time. That you are beginning a move, a move in us personally, a move in us collectively, that we might be your church that makes a move in our world today. And I pray we would stand in the boldness of that, the confidence of that, and know that you are at work and that you would do a work that unlocks heaven here, that unlocks heaven in our communities, that the day we long for of where heaven and earth are one again, that we would see glimpses of today, that we'd see the power of today, that our, our nation would be changed, that people would repent, that people would be drawn to you, that your glory would be seen in this day. We cry out, God, we believe you. We trust you. Let your glory fall for you are good and your mercy endures forever. We pray all of this in the name of our Savior, in the name of the one who redeemed us, our Lord Jesus. And all God's people with boldness said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and worship him.